0: When I was a uh, senior in college, I had a roommate who was obsessed with the musical Man of La Mancha. Over and over and over again, he would play the same tunes. I am I, Don Quixote, the man of La Mancha. My destiny calls and I go. Again and again and again, his destiny kept calling. As every night, my roommate danced around the room. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some beautiful songs in Man of La Mancha. There are also some really annoying songs. The story, the basic story that is told in the musical is of a crazy old man who fancies himself a knight in shining armor and falls in love with a harlot. But he, the old man, doesn't see her as a harlot. He sees the, the goodness and the, the beauty that is inside of her. In fact, he even decides to give her a new name. To him, she's not Aldonza, she's Dulcinea. That is, by the way, the most beautiful song in the musical. I have dreamed thee too long, never seen thee nor touched thee, but known thee with all of my heart. Half a prayer, half a song. Thou hast always been with me, though we've always been apart. Dulcinea, Dulcinea, I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea, and thy name is like a prayer an angel whispers. Dulcinea, Dulcinea. Aldonza mocks the old man. Open your eyes, you old fool. See me as I really am, a lost woman. To her, he's just a crazy old man. With an impossible dream. That's the song you no doubt recognize from the musical. To dream the impossible dream, to right the unrightable wrong, to try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star. In the end, the old man dies, seemingly a failure. But in his death, Aldonza is transformed and embraces her inner Dulcinea so that ultimately the crazy old man's impossible dream comes true, which is meant to remind us of the power of dreams to create change in this world. Every great leader in human history, every great change maker in human history has been a dreamer, someone who had great vision. We're all, of course, very familiar that Dr. King had a dream, a dream that decades after his death still calls to us and challenges us to the very core of our being, still creating change in our world today. Jesus also had a dream, though surprisingly, his dream is less well known. If I were to ask you to tell me, what was Jesus' greatest dream for us, his followers? And where can that be found in the Bible, even if you spent a lifetime in church? You probably couldn't answer that question. So today I want to lift up in front of us, Jesus' greatest dream for us, and challenge us to dare to believe that we can be a critical part of making that dream come true. Let's begin with a prayer. Jesus, here we are in a broken world, filled with broken people chasing broken dreams, and the easiest thing in life would be to become cynical and say that what has always been is what will always be. But you, Jesus, call us to something higher. Rouse our spirits today. Help us to embrace your dream And never let go of it until it becomes reality. For it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. So suppose you were told that this year you could travel anywhere in the world on your dream vacation. Where would be your dream destination? Somebody tell me. Morocco. Paris. Paris, Dubai. Paris. Dubai. New Zealand. Australia. Australia. My ultimate destination would be the Holy Land. Oh, to walk where Jesus walked someday. Here's another question for you. Suppose you were told that you could date anybody in the world. Who would be your dream date? <laughs> Janet Jackson, Kim says. No hesitation. Let me uh, suggest an amendment to your answer. Since you're married, the correct answer is Pastor Bambi. Of course. Of course. That goes without saying. But. If you had, <laughs> she's digging the hole deeper, if, if you're married but you had to pick somebody else or if you're single, who would be your dream date? Janet Jackson, Michael, Michael B. Jordan, B. Jordan, who? Tom Selleck, <laughs> is he still alive? <laughs> dreams <laughs> dreams can be fun, a little dangerous, but fun. But let's face it, dreams are also whimsical. The truth is, most dreams will never come true. But when the Son of God has a dream we should sit up and pay attention because if anybody has the power to make a dream come true it would be Jesus what was Jesus greatest dream for we who follow him The answer is found in a passionate prayer that Jesus prayed shortly before his crucifixion in the garden, surrounded by a few of his closest disciples. Jesus uttered these words of prayer to the Father. John 17, 20. I ask not only on behalf of these, my current disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That would be you and me. That would be us. So here in the garden, Before his death, Jesus is praying a specific prayer for you and for me. Jesus, what was your prayer? What was your ultimate dream for us, we who follow you? That they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us. But why, Jesus? Why was this so important to you? He tells us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on to add in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's the dream. That's the way it's supposed to be. But when we look around us at the way the world works today, the horrific news from Memphis just this past week, and as we look around us and we see the way churches operate in the world today, We are tempted to despair. We are tempted to think, if anything, Jesus, churches are the opposite of what you dreamed for your people, for your followers. Because so many churches, most churches in the world today, are afraid of the diversity of Jesus' followers, are afraid of anything that is different. I could cite a million different examples, but here's one. When Leela Alcorn was born near Cincinnati, Ohio, she was raised in a deeply Christian family. At birth, she was identified as male and named Joshua. But as early as four years old, she says, I began to sense that I was different, that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. Then, she says, when I was 14, I learned what transgender meant, and I cried for happiness. After 10 years of confusion, I finally understood who I was. I immediately told my mom, and she reacted extremely negatively, telling me it was a phase, that I would never truly be a girl, that God doesn't make mistakes, and I'm wrong. Her parents took her out of school, separated her from her friends, and sent her to conversion therapy. She says, at the time, I still considered myself a Christian, and so I I learned to believe that God hated me, and that I did not deserve to live. And so Leela came up with a plan. She wrote a suicide note and posted it on Tumblr and scheduled it to appear after she was already gone. In her note, she wrote, I decided I've had enough. There's no winning. There's no way out. And so, three days after Christmas on December the 28th, 2014, Leela Alcorn walked two miles from her house to Interstate 71 near Cincinnati and stepped out in front of a tractor-trailer truck traveling at full speed. She was, at age 16, declared dead at the scene. Another Christian teenager bites the dust. Because churches in the world today are deathly afraid of anything or anyone who is different. That's not how it was supposed to be. That was not Jesus' dream. Jesus. When will we ever learn? When will he? The Apostle Paul understood Jesus' dream. And he was early Christianity's most passionate preacher of that dream. Paul sums it up like this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. So now, there is no longer Jew or Greek. That's race. There is no longer slave or free socioeconomic status. There is no longer male and female gender. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Or at least we are supposed to be that was the dream but as we look around us in the world today and how it works and as we look around us at churches in the world today and how they work we can't help but think to ourselves it's never going to happen it's an impossible dream jesus your dream is impossible Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, Jesus is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups. In this case, he's talking about racial differences. In his instance, Jews and Gentiles. In the flesh, Jesus has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. Why? Here's the dream again. So that he might create in himself one new humanity, thus making peace. That's how it's supposed to be. And yet Dr. King was famously able to say that 11 o'clock... On Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America, and the world looks at the church today, and what it sees is the opposite of Jesus' dream. To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable foe. To bear the unbearable. Sorrow. It's no use. We may as well give up. Hate is too strong. We live in a world that is filled with hate, prejudice, fear, and intolerance that has permeated even our churches. Jesus dream. Is dead Satan would like nothing better than to convince us of that but I'm here today to remind us that with God nothing shall be impossible I'm here today to remind us that all things are possible for the one who believes. I'm here to remind us that Jesus himself said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Even impossible dreams come true with Jesus, because you see, Jesus had ultimate faith. And Jesus prayed with that faith before he died that one day all of his followers would become one. So if Jesus prayed that with ultimate faith, that means it's going to happen. The only question is when. The only question is, will we be a part of it? The only question is, how long will it take before enough of us believe In Jesus dream enough to begin to live into it in our churches so that the world will be able to see that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and so the eyes of God are running to and fro throughout the earth looking for churches that dare to strive to live into the dream as authentically multicultural churches celebrating our differences in all of their various forms loving one another across those differences and refusing to insist that we all look alike think alike act alike dress alike jesus is looking for churches like that and when i hear that i find myself thinking why not us why not here maybe we could be a critical part of making jesus dream finally come true and when you hear that you may think but jeff we're just a little church far too small to ever significantly influence the realization of jesus dream but think again margaret mead once said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. There's a a Brazilian proverb that says, when we dream alone, it's only a dream. When we dream together, it's the beginning." of a new reality. Again and again in the scriptures we are reminded that God delights in using the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. That God delights in using simple people to accomplish great things. So God is raising up churches like ours to create a seed tide that will change the face Of Christianity. What we've got going here at Life Journey is what I would call a laboratory experiment in what the church of the future could look like. Church the way Jesus always dreamed that it could be. And when we hear that, this idea of authentically multicultural churches where we love each other across our differences, where everybody is treated as equal. When we hear that, we say, that is so beautiful. Sign me up. I'm all in, but not so fast. Because I'm also here today to remind us that though it sounds good, it's really, really really hard. It's like herding cats. Better yet, it's like trying to give a cat a pill. Have you ever tried to give a cat a pill? Who has cats? Ron said, it's not hard if you know how to do it. That's exactly what my vet once told me. And then she gave me an instruction sheet (laughs) with step-by-step directions for how to do it. And actually, he's he's right. That instruction sheet was very helpful. In fact, those of you who are cat lovers, listen up. You'll benefit from this. (laughs) How to pill a cat. Step one, pick cat up and cradle it in the crook of your left arm as if holding a baby. Position right forefinger and thumb on either side of the cat's mouth and gently apply pressure to the cheek while holding pill in hand. As cat opens mouth, pop pill into mouth and allow cat to close mouth and swallow. (laughs) Step two, retrieve pill from the floor (laughs) and cat from behind sofa. Cradle cat in left arm and repeat process. Step 3. Retrieve cat in bedroom. Throw soggy pill away. Take new pill from foil wrap, cradle cat in left arm, holding rear paws tightly with left hand. Force jaw open. Push pill into back of mouth with right forefinger. Hold mouth shut for a count of 10. Step 4. Retrieve pill from the goldfish bowl cat from the top of the wardrobe, call spouse home from work, kneel on the floor. With cat wedged firmly between your knees, holding front and rear paws, ignore the low growls emitted by the cat. Get spouse to hold cat's head firmly with one hand while forcing a wooden ruler into its mouth. Drop pill down the ruler, rub cat's throat vigorously. Step five, retrieve cat from the curtain rail, get another pill, and it goes on from there. But you get the idea, right? giving a cat a pill is pert-near impossible, unless you're a trained professional. (laughs) Being a genuinely multicultural congregation is pert-near impossible. An example. Here at Life Journey Church, every time we have deep conversations about race we lose some people because inevitably when you have deep conversations about race there will be a handful of white people just a handful but a handful of white people who say why do we always have to talk about race this church is getting too black Really? But it doesn't stop there. Because, and I'm just being honest, if we're not honest, we can't make progress. It doesn't stop there, because every time we have a deep conversation about race, guess what? We also lose a handful of people of color. But be, because when we have deep conversations about race, it's inevitable that some white person is gonna be prompted to say something racially insensitive or worse, and some of our people of color will think to themselves, I don't have to put up with that. Why do I have to put up with that? So that, in a sense, it would be easier for all of us, white, black, and brown, if we retreated from here and found a church where everybody's like us. only problem is, that's not what Jesus calls us to do. That's not the dream. And so as I've been thinking about this, God laid on my heart a word for those of us here who are white and another word for those of us here who are people of color. Let me first share the word that's on my heart for those of us who are white. Sometimes when I'm having a conversation with a friend who's a person of color and I should say, I'm just gonna be vulnerably honest right now and that's dangerous because I could say something stupid if I say something stupid forgive me in fact repeat after me if Jeff says something stupid as he probably will I will correct him in love and forgive him all right here it (laughs) goes God help us right Sometimes, when I'm having a conversation with a friend who's a person of color, maybe, maybe Pastor Robert or Pastor Bambi, and we're talking about something, and, and they connect it to race, there's a little voice in the back of my head that wants to say, I don't say it, but that wants to say, there they go again. Why does everything have to be about race? And when I hear that voice in the back of my head, I have to stop, step back, humble myself, and remember, I haven't lived their experience. If I walked a mile in their shoes, I would probably realize that maybe not everything, but almost everything, when you're a person of color, is affected by race. Not just that, but I have to remind myself where I come from. I grew up in a family where my dad, without thinking twice, when I was a kid, he's very different now, but as a kid, he would put on the stereo Phil Oaks songs and blare them through the house with explicitly racist languages. We thought nothing of it. I have to remind myself that our neighbor who lived across the road, Bob Vaught, he was a realtor, once reassured our neighborhood, he said, don't worry, his exact words, don't worry. I'll never sell a house in this neighborhood to a black family. And two, this was Acton, Indiana, and two, our eternal shame, we were reassured by that. Because we had bought in to all these false negative stereotypes. I have to remind myself that in the school system I came up with through, at Franklin Central High School, when I was there, 1,000 students Literally 999 of us were white and one poor kid was a person of color. So that now, as I seek to grow and as I read books about anti-racism and as I hear the experiences of my sisters and brothers who are people of color, as I make progress, I nevertheless have to keep reminding myself that I would be a fool to think that I've completely washed all of that negative programming out of my brain. I'd be a fool to think that I'm not a work in progress. I'd be a fool to think that there won't be times when that old programming pops out sideways in ways I may be completely oblivious to. And so if we who are white folk genuinely want to be part of a multicultural church, we've got to shut our mouths humble ourselves. Listen and learn from our brothers and sisters who are people of color. That's my word for those of us who are white. The word God laid on my heart to share with those of us who are people of color is this. As I've already said, whenever we have conversations about race, it is inevitable that some white person is going to pipe up and say something that's racially insensitive or worse. And you find yourself thinking, there they go again. Why do I put up with this? I don't have to put up with this. I could go find me a church where everybody's like me, and I don't have to explain everything. The only problem is, Jesus is calling. And for Jesus' dream to come true, we've uh, we've all got to hold together and work through things. So that it takes lots of brave people across all our diversities. I've given examples from race. I could just as easily give examples about our socioeconomic diversity and how hard that is. I could just as easily give examples of our theological diversity here and how difficult that is. It takes all kinds of brave people across our diversities. Loving one another. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Challenging one another. Working together to tear down the walls of hostility that have long divided humanity. Jesus calls us to this. And if if we can rise to it, we can partner with Jesus in, in doing something extraordinary for God. Helping make Jesus' dream come true. John F. Kennedy, former president of the United States in the 1960s, he once said, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and to do other things, not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Ben Jealous, former president of the NAACP, in his new book identifies three key things we need to do to make progress in America. One of those key things, he says, we have to build uncomfortably large coalitions. That's what Life Journey Church is, an uncomfortably large coalition of people united across our differences, black, white, and brown, gay, straight, and transgender, male, female, and non-binary, old, young, rich, poor, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, Episcopalian, AME, CME, UCC. We are an uncomfortably large coalition, and that is beautiful. But it's not for the faint of heart. Jesus, Jesus is calling us, Life Journey Church, to be a laboratory experiment. A demonstration project in what the church of the future could be. Church the way Jesus always dreamed it could be. And if we rise to that challenge, if we have hearts of endurance and love and forgiveness and patience, if we're visionary people who dare to dream with Jesus, God can use this church. Along with others, the spirits raised it up that are like it to change the face of Christianity, to bring Jesus' dream finally to life in front of our eyes, we could be on the cutting edge of what God is doing in the world today, changing ourselves, changing our city, helping to change the world, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. So I have a question for us this morning. As you hear all of this, as we lay out the dream of Jesus and the role that churches like ours can play in making that happen, my question is, are you up for this? Are you in? Do you believe? If so, I ask each of us To make a commitment to the work that Jesus is doing through this church. What does that look like? What might that look like? Here are a few suggestions for what commitment to the work of God through our church might look like. Number one, give us the gift of your regular presence at Sunday worship. Because that's where it all begins. We can't be a community if we're not together. And if you're not here, we're diminished. It all starts here. It's great to come once every eight weeks, but we can't build something great on that. To build something great for God, we have to be together. The most valuable thing you could possibly give to Jesus' work through this church is the gift of your regular presence in worship. Number two, consider making a service commitment to this church. If you don't yet have a service commitment to this church, go to, and by the way, all of this is printed on the very back, the last page, the fourth page of your Sunday headlines. But if you don't already have a service commitment to the church, go to lifejourney.church links and click on service options and pray about where might be my right service fit. Number three, consider Making a giving commitment at any level, whether it's a dollar a week or a hundred dollars a week, let's, let's invest in Jesus' dream. Go to links. click on giving options. Number four, consider becoming part of an oasis group or a discipleship course so that we're learning and growing our souls together. And equally important, we're building personal relationships across our differences here's an idea why not sign up for the discipleship course that pastor Robert mentioned called white fragility some of us white folks hear that and we think that's an offensive title the book was written by a white woman to provoke conversation exactly the kinds of conversations we need to have if we're going to grow into the fullness of Jesus dream for us we have to be willing to have those hard conversations already 20 folks have signed up for that course I'd love to see it double that Or, here's another idea, why not participate with the Friends Oasis as they launch into a book study that will help us become more articulate and effective advocates for why the Bible and God affirm LGBTQ people as equals. Finally, fifth suggestion, make a commitment to be determined to love, listen, and forgive one another despite all of our differences. <clears throat> Let me close with this. In Revelation chapter 7, the apostle John has a, a vision. He sees what, what it will be like in heaven someday. He describes his vision starting in verse 9 where he says, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This was Jesus' dream. Jesus' dream realized in heaven. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, shoulder to shoulder with palm branches in their hands, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with a full voice, worshiping the Lamb that was slain. Someday in heaven, you and I we'll find ourselves standing in the midst of that scene. And if, while we were here on earth, we were a determined and committed part of a church community that was investing in the dream of Jesus and making that come true, someday, when you're standing in heaven and experiencing this, you will have the satisfaction of being able to smile and think to yourself, I helped make this happen and you'll be able to carry that satisfaction with you throughout eternity the power of God's love overcoming the impossible and making it possible for us tribal human beings (laughs) to love one another tearing down the walls of hostility may it be so lord jesus and may we be part of making it happen hallelujah amen